You're listening to Radio Boston. I'm Tiziana Deering. If you build it, they will come. But this is Massachusetts, not Iowa, like what that line comes from in Field of Dreams. So perhaps our question is more like, if you fix it, will they come back? The MBTA is undergoing massive repairs to eliminate subway slow zones by the end of the year. And leaders in cities like Boston and Somerville are working on things like making streets safer for cyclists and pedestrians. Here's the thing, though. Unless communities buy into these changes, could it be for naught? Here in Studio 2 to discuss, Stacey Thompson, Executive Director of the nonprofit Livable Streets, and Frank Lowenstein, Director at the Conservation Group uh, organization RARE. Frank, welcome. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Great to have you. And Stacy, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. So, you know, if the idea is that you, you've got the, the infrastructure, right, but People, uh, the business community, advocacy groups all have to have buy-in. What's the risk here, Frank? You know, what's the, what's the equation that we need to solve? Well, we're really facing a, a crisis with the climate. We really need to make changes in our emissions quickly. Later is too late. Um, and so uh, transportation is a big part of the picture. 37% of our emissions here in Massachusetts come from uh, use of vehicles. And so how we shift that makes a huge difference and we need to do it fast. So collectively, we need to come together. We need individuals to make a difference. We need our government to make a difference. We need corporations to make a difference. So there's the stakes, Stacy Thompson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, n- n- uh, your organization's called Livable Streets, right? <laughs> so it's kind of sitting right there in the name for us as well. There's the stakes. We talk a lot. You're one of our regulars when we talk about the MBTA and our whole infrastructure. And we've talked repeatedly about are we going to become a transit-oriented state? I often you know, pitch that as an infrastructure question. But the use question is about culture. It's about what our businesses encourage their employees to do. It's about whether people abandon cars after more of them having bought them, et cetera. Yeah. So I I think that it is about culture, but I wouldn't want to underestimate. You have to give people um, the options for them to choose in the first place. And what I mean by that is for some individuals, if their T-ride goes from 30 minutes to an hour and a half yeah. and they have the financial means to take an Uber, that means that they you know, are going to do that because they need to pick their kids up from daycare. They need to go to the grocery store. They need to run errands, right? That is about choice. And so I think um, even if their employer gives them an incentive, we need to make sure that they have that, that the T is a better option than spending money on an Uber or a Lyft, or is a better option than making a long-term investment in a fossil fuel vehicle. So building walkable, bikeable, functional transit is about creating an infrastructure so that people are incentivized to make those cho- choices that impact the climate. So here's where we're at. We're having a conversation with Stacey Thompson of Livable Streets and Frank Lowenstein of the conservation group Rare about this two parts, right? One is get that MBTA back to at least where it was, if not further forward, and two, change the culture of usage to reduce traffic, improve emissions, um, and, and get ourselves to both the healthy environment and sort of the healthy transit culture that many organizations, businesses, elected members of our legislature and in the administration want. Um, so let's 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 do two things quickly, Frank. The first is, are you seeing changes in behavior? Uh, that you find hopeful, and what are they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so people, 
when you think about behavior, people underestimate their own power. The single most important thing shaping what we do is social norms and what we think is expected of us by the people who are close to us in our social network. So if you are a fan of the tea, speak up. You know, change the narrative. There's a lot of negative news about the tea. I personally love the the fact that I can bike to the tea, stick my bus on my bike on the front of a bus and get off at the other end and bike off into a different place. So we are seeing some positive changes in behavior. Um, I think one of them is there is a steady increase in the use of electric cars, which of course does reduce pollution. That is not exactly uh, fully accessible to everybody. And so that's not something – that's not a full solution to the problem. We need the kinds of solutions Stacey was talking about too. Uh, so the other question for you before I go back to Stacey is do we know – is there data to tell us one way or another whether messages about climate actually will change people's behavior, are part of these social norms and social pressures that over time and, – and again, stipulated the, the part Stacy said about, well, you've got to – people will make practical decisions that we've got to affect too, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But do we know if those are a piece of this puzzle as we talk about building a culture for transit and other forms of transportation that improve our environment? Yes and no. Um, so the yes is uh, 70%, 72% of Americans now are deeply concerned about climate change, as they should be. And more than two-thirds of Americans say they feel some obligation personally to take action. So that's great. When you message about climate, um, we find that direct messages about the importance of action now for um, preserving a livable climate for our children and grandchildren, those are the most impactful. And those are actually more impactful than talking about the cost savings of various climate actions, which, you know, an electric car long term is cheaper than a gas powered car. So, you know, it's those messages that say, we're all in this together. We share a climate, we share a city, let's fix it. So that it, it puts a couple of other questions on my mind, Stacey, and, and, and it's, it's the picture that we're painting here in the room, right? And, and the, the burning question, the reason that we wanted to have this conversation when we're spending so much time, especially over the last year or so, on transit, on the MBTA, on what's happening on our roads and bridges, et cetera, is we've been talking fix, 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 fix. But then the question is use, 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 mm -hmm. right? That's why we're doing this conversation. When... We build habits in people. People organize their lives around those habits, yep. and it gets harder to change. My knees buckled the other day when it hit me, really hit me for the first time. The March 2024 is around the corner, and that will be four years <laughs> since the start of uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Yep. Um, that is a long time of changes of all kinds of behaviors. Um, and I don't know how to think about what the tail on that is, even if everything were working, Mwah, chef's kiss. Yeah, you know, I think from a, a transit and um, mobility perspective, we are still stuck in this idea that we're trying to get back to 2019. We are not going back to 2019. People's, the way that they move, when they move, and where they are going has changed fundamentally. The solutions related to reducing emissions have not changed fundamentally. And so what that is 
teaching us in some ways is that we need to double down on the things that we knew worked in 2019, but maybe need to think about them a little differently. Give me an example. For example, uh, the commuter rail. Um, People are still coming into downtown Boston, but what we're seeing now is that they're only coming in a day or two a week. And if they already own a vehicle, they're choosing to drive. The, The way we could fix that is by changing the hours. So it's not just nine to five. A lot of people are, you know, going in a little earlier, a little later because their employers give them flexibility. So running true regional rail, running regional rail every 20 minutes, reducing the price of commuter rail so that it is much cheaper than paying for parking downtown. Those are simple fixes, but it aligns with the reality now so that when people are getting on the commuter rail two days a week, they are always choosing the commuter rail because it's a better choice. They might still take their car to the grocery store because they can't carry all of those groceries. Um, They may put their kid on a bike to go to the playground because it's only a half mile away. And we need to build bike infrastructure for that, right? So we have those emission reducing behaviors, um, but it's uh, incentivizing a lifestyle where people are making the appropriately sized choice um, and making sure that those low emission choices, transit, walking, and biking, are the easiest, safest, and most affordable. So we're speaking with Stacey Thompson of Livable Streets, Frank Lowenstein of the conservation group Rare, looking at uh, both infrastructure and culture to create the kind of um, Commonwealth that works in transportation, transit, environment, the way that keeps us healthy, uh, functioning, economically viable in tomorrow, right? Uh, Frank, one of the other things that strikes me as we're having this conversation is the profound difference between a Boston, um, a Worcester, um, even a, a, a Lynn or a Lowell and let's say um, Milton, or you know, um, you know, I'm trying to pick you know some suburban areas, right? A Winchester, uh, um, Hingham, right? Yeah. And I pick Hingham because, of course, we've got waterways, yep. right, as yep. well. Um, are the answers? It really depends, or are there a set of universal strategies for behavior change, for social norms? Does it matter where you are and what your local infrastructure looks like? Yes, of course it it does matter. Choice architecture, what's available to you makes a huge difference. Um, But there's some some consistencies and, you know, as an avid biker myself, um, we've seen the spread of bikeways and bike um, routes uh, into some of the rural areas. You know, the state's done a, a lot of investment in that and it's paid off. Um, so even in some of the rural areas, you can still think that you have choices. So generally speaking, uh, behavior scientists tell us that there's three things that are going to shape behavior. There's social norms, which we already spoke about a little bit. And again, speak up. Tell your friends what matters to you. There's um, whether the, what we, friction. How easy is it? How difficult is it? Stacy mentioned that. And the third is efficacy, self-efficacy. You have to believe that you can do it and that it will make a difference if you do. So if you ride your bike or ride your bike to the commuter rail and take it into the city, you have to believe that not only is that going to work for you, but also that if you do that, maybe it's going to make it easier for your partner or your spouse who has to still has to drive because they're going somewhere else because there'll be less congestion on the streets. So last question for you, Stacey Thompson. You used that example a few minutes ago. Pl- employers changed, so now the computer, commuter rail needs to change. You know, in our last little less than a minute, what do businesses need to do differently? Employers. Yeah. So the number one thing I would actually say is stop paying for parking. (laughs) 
for your employees and start paying for transit passes for blue bikes passes. And again, some folks do need to drive in and there are, are you, you know, unique circumstances, but by and large, stop incentivizing the behaviors that it might mean that your employee needs to purchase a vehicle instead of being able to afford to live next to a bus, a bus route. I think offering flexibility for employees when you're able gives people more choices, right? They might be able to get on that commuter rail, even though the schedule isn't perfect right now. Um, and I think asking people what they need in order to make those choices is an important start. All right. That's a blueprint we can start with. Stacey Thompson, Executive Director of Livable Streets, and Frank Lowenstein, who is the Senior Director of the Conservation Group Rare. Thanks to both of you for being with us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And tomorrow on Radio Boston, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren will join us. There's lots to talk about from budgets to Harvard University to conflicts around the globe. So make sure that you come back for that. For now, that's our show for today. Radio Boston is produced by Amanda Beeland, Kyrie Thompson, and Rob Lane. Marquise Neal is our senior technical director. Yasmin Ammer is our executive producer. I'm Tiziana Deering. On behalf of the whole team, hey, thanks for listening. And do join us again tomorrow for more Radio Boston.